The Truth News Network. Prices out of control, threatening an end of fossil fuels, orphaning 400 million cars, millions of trucks, airplanes. Are we having fun yet? Every tick of the clock promising more misery as we bankrupt the middle class. Life as written by Harlan Ellison. Shake your head, take a deep breath, because you're with TN, the Truth News Network. And with some light, here's Dan Newman. Let's see what we can do about uh, answering some questions that you probably have this morning. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the last day of this week, at least for TNN Live, Friday. I hope you've had a good week so far, and I hope you're looking ahead for a good weekend, full of good, fun things, so you can forget about some of the chaos that we all live in every day. We had a big week this year. Uh, We had a big week this week on TNN Live. Our audience grew. We had several special guests on. It's kind of fun when we all get together and we just speak through things that are on our minds, kind of clear our heads, getting ahead and uh, those important things in my life and yours. And of course now, gosh, it's not hard to identify those important things anymore, is it? I mean, everywhere we look, there's something new, there's something unusual, something unexplainable. But isn't it good that we can all get together here every day for a couple of hours and we can think through and talk through those things and come up with some answers? And we don't know everything. And as you know, if you come here, we don't resolve every question that you have every day. But at least we're like-minded in that we are working together to come up with those answers. Those answers for the very, very important things in our lives. Well, yesterday, FBI Director Christopher Wray sat before a Senate committee hearing. And I got to be honest with you, every time Chris Wray comes to Congress and he sits there, it just makes me more uncomfortable, makes my skin crawl because he's pompous, he's arrogant, and he's been through the political process for so many years in the FBI and the Department of Justice that he knows how to skirt all the answers that are really anticipated and needed for the questions he's being asked. He's learned, he's watched, and he's figured out that uh, he can defend and deflect and keep from getting himself in any position that might compromise his gig at the top of the FBI, while giving those senators, throwing them just enough little slivers of meat to make them feel, well, we did something good today. Let me just tell you this. Nothing worth anything came out of that meeting yesterday. Absolutely nothing. Yeah, there were important topics that were brought up, and he may have skirted or circled around them, but they at least came to the surface. But what good does that do? If you can't cut to the meat and get right down to where the facts all lay, why even bother to have the conversation? That's the way I'm beginning to feel about everything that happens in our U.S. Congress. Quite honestly, folks, this particular Congress 
And it's not just because of Joe Biden being in the White House or Democrats controlling the House and having a 50-50 tie, but basically control of the Senate with the vice president casting all tie votes to break them. It's not just because of those things. It's because the environment over a period of years, probably from about the turn of the century to where we are today, 22 years later, during that time, the lawmaking process and all those that are in it just seem to go slow. They evade the issues. They find ways to circle when they answer the questions that are contentious. At least they think they're contentious. But those who are asking them, those who represent the American people like me and you, they figured out how to game the system. And I was, last night I didn't sleep much. Um, I had a lot on my mind. Uh, I tried to go to bed and sleep. That lasted about 45 minutes. I got up and did my usual. I went to the den. I got in my chair. I had my iPad. I had my MacBook Pro, my iPhone. Yeah, I'm a Mac guy. And I sat there and read and thought and read some more, looked up things. And let me tell you, I am beside myself today. Why, Dan? Because of the way the government process of the United States has been turned into a circus. There's no substance in D.C. Let me give you one example. Do you know what the United States Congress, especially in the House, what they have done that has basically destroyed the lawmaking process for us all? Regular order. Regular order. You know what that is? That's how Congress was structured to work. And it used to work that way, but it's no longer working that way. What is regular order? That's where when any lawmaker wants to present a bill or even the skeleton framework of a bill to be considered in the House of Representatives, every bill, every one of them used to go through this process. Now, how did it work? Well, the House Speaker, the Speaker of the House, in this case, Nancy Pelosi, everybody in her office and her, they get these bills submitted and then she determines which ones can even be considered. And for the very, very, very few that she agrees to let go through the regular order process, which she basically doesn't even use anymore, and I'll explain why in a minute. Regular process works this way. Bill A is submitted by a congressperson. Goes to the House Speaker's desk. She looks at it and says, yeah, we ought to look into this. So what happens then? That bill is assigned to one, maybe two, of the committees in the House of Representatives that are over those particular issues that this bill pertains to. And so those bills go to these committees. The committees have hearings. They bring up this bill. They pass out the bill to all of the members of the committee. And then when they meet, they talk about the elements in the bill, things that might be good, things that might be bad. They call witnesses. They come in and testify about that proposed bill. They get asked questions. They answer questions. These members of Congress are trying to get to the meat of everything, 
and find out if there's any substance in this that's good enough to make it go to the next step, or maybe we need to change some things in it. So what do they do? They present possible amendments. They discuss those amendments. They may call some witnesses back in, maybe some new ones. And then the committee votes on each and every amendment that's discussed. When they get to where they feel like they've gone as far as they can in the structure of it, the chairman will say, we'll bring it to a vote. And so they vote on whether to allow that bill to go to the next level. If it does, it goes back to the House Speaker. The Speaker then determines when it's going to go to the full floor for that process that just happened in the committee to happen in front of all of the 435 members of the House of Representatives. Now, what does that all sound like? Man, it sounds like it's complicated. It's really not. And let me tell you why. Any piece of legislation, if it ever reaches a president's desk to be signed into law, is important enough to beat it to death to get facts, to find out if the elements in each and every one of these bills that's presented are good for the American people. How do we do that? We elect people to sit in these committee and subcommittee meetings to look at pending legislation. That process used to work. But regular order, they don't even think about it anymore. Do you know how rare it is for a proposed bill to go through that process where it's torn apart, every sentence is examined, every principle that is represented in any piece of legislation is debated? It never happens. It never happens. We hear about these bills all the time, these 13, 14, 1,500, 2,000-page bills. They're given to members of the Congress on an afternoon. Those bills haven't gone through regular process. They haven't been to any committee. Where'd they come from? Somebody, some member of Congress's office, they all got together and pieced it together, and put it together. Hush, hush, hurry, hurry, get it done. They put it together, nobody has looked at it. Nobody has broken it apart and discussed the pieces that are within it. So members of Congress get it on an afternoon. They have to vote on the floor the next day for that bill. And I guess the ultimate explanation of how that goes was when the House Speaker herself, Nancy Pelosi, remember back in the Biden-Obama years, the Affordable Care Act came up. It was a massive bill. It eats up, even to this day, hundreds of billions of dollars of taxpayer money. Did it go through regular order? No, absolutely not. Not even anything close. Nothing happened with that at all. And she was asked about it when she got up to take a victory lap because we've got the bill, we've got the health care bill that will fix every bit of health care issues in the nation for every American. Well, Miss Speaker, Miss Speaker, yes, you in the back there, ask your question. 
Can you tell us what's in the bill? And she kind of chuckled. <laughs> well, you know, we've got to pass the bill so we can know what's in the bill. When I, years ago, when I heard her say that, it struck a chord in my brain, and here's what immediately came across my mind. Congress is broken. It doesn't work. And so what has happened, literally, those 535 people, 100 of them in the Senate, 435 of them in the House, they rule our lives through laws that start there and end up at a president's desk who's ever in the White House to sign into law. When they're signed into law, then they're executed. Whatever the details within those bills that have become laws dictate, that's what happens. And I would venture a guess. This is not an accurate research number. I have no idea where to go to get accurate numbers. But I will tell you this. A huge majority, a massive majority of this kind of stuff that happens every day, every week. When those are passed and those that make it to the president's desk and are signed into law, looking back at the content of those examination of the content of those that have been passed upon doing that 70 to 90 percent of the stuff that's in those bills was never even examined it was thrown in there last minute some member of the house of representatives that need to pay back a buddy in his district he knows this thing's being created surreptitiously down in the bowels of the Capitol, and I'm, exa I'm exaggerating there. But the context of what I'm saying is this. They throw all kind of stuff in it. And so nobody, not a single person, because there's not one person or two people that draft this legislation and come up with the final versions. There may be 20, 30, 40 different people that are in the authoring process of each of these bills. They haven't had the opportunity after the one that gets up on the speaker's desk to be presented to that full house. They don't know all the contents in it. There's not a single person that does. That means that probably every single piece of legislation that is substantive, and when I say substantive, I'm not talking about coming up with the name for a post office, which is something that comes through the House of Representatives. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about these massive spending bills that are just shoved down the throats of the American people with very little discussion. But what those bills do when they're passed, they soothe the issues and many of the campaign contributors to those congressmen and women who voted for this to pass, and it ends up in law. And so they get a pat on the back. boy, thanks for getting this done. How much of these bills today are that? If you really knew the percentage, we'd be sick. We'd, we'd be nauseated. We can't believe that kind of stuff is going. Let me give you an example. We don't have a special guest today, 
by the way. But what I would love is for you to weigh in. Let us know what you think about the topics we're discussing today and even this one. 1-866-37-TRUTH. That's 1-866-378-7884. Let me give you an example, an exact example of what I'm talking about. You know, the big contentious piece of legislation for the last couple of weeks is the big, uh, whatever they want to call it, inflation buster bill. (laughs) That's what they try to make us think it is. Well, it looks like, and it has for a long time, that it's going to come right down to the line and we're 50-50 in the Senate. The House has already passed it, or they've passed a version of it. It comes down to Somebody on either side of the aisle has got a flip. Republicans entrenched. Democrats entrenched. But there's a couple of Democrat senators that threw their hands up and said, hey, wait a minute, I need need to think about this. I need to get some more information about it. Who would that be? Joe Manchin from West Virginia, Kirsten Sinema, from Arizona. Those are two very reputable thinking members of the United States Senate that sometimes, often as a matter of fact, they don't agree with their fellow Democrats. Joe Manchin was the cross-bearer for weeks on this because he made it very clear. I'm not for passing a bill that's going to raise taxes on anybody or is going to increase our inflation. He said that over and over and over again for weeks and weeks and weeks. And remember, remember, I told you, this was going on. Nobody had seen a copy of the bill. You know why? Because it hadn't even been written. What they do is they prepare a one-page bullet point list, they being the Democrats. And they just talk about and want you to think that this is all that's in the bill, what's in those bullet points. And the bullet points are the things that really sound good to everybody. And so a week ago, not until a week ago, did the content of that bill come out. Manchin was, nope. Can't go for that, can't go for that. Cinema hadn't made up her mind. And then the other thing is, if they're going to pass it, 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 it can only be done in the Senate this time on this bill through reconciliation. I don't want to go into the ins and outs of that, but if, it, if it's a normal bill, when it comes to the floor and the question of whether we're going to consider this bill and even allow it to be discussed in the Senate, it takes 60 votes. Well, you've got 50 Democrats, 50 Republicans. So that means for every bill the Republicans want to bring in, they got to get at least 10 of the Democrats to agree or it won't even move forward. And it works the same the other way. So in regular order, here we go again, to get a bill to go to the floor of the Senate, got to have 60 votes. They can do through the reconciliation process. They can do a simple majority. But there are a bunch of Senate rules that make it very difficult to take a bill to the floor 
to, to even get a, a vote on it through reconciliation. And that's how we get to the 50-50 thing that I told you. You got to get, you got to get a, at least a couple. If you're a Democrat, you got to at least get a couple of Republicans to come across and vote with you. Same thing, Republicans. You got to get a couple of Democrats to come over. And then there's this thing, it's got to pass the parliamentarian. That's about money. It's about spending, big spending. You cannot, in the Senate, have a vote on a bill that the parliamentarian says you can't do that because it's about dollars and cents. That has to come through regular order. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to shove this down into a, a very short little abridged explanation of this so you can understand what I meant at the top of the show when I tell you how screwed up all this is. This bill is going to be voted on because overnight, Kirsten Cinema, she said, I'm going to vote with those folks. And so Joe Manchin, two days ago, he shocked everybody. In fact, through the weekend, he shocked everybody. All of a sudden, hey, 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 I'm going to vote yes on this inflation-busting bill. So, what's going on? There's some things about Joe Manchin that we didn't know, but we're finding out. Joe Manchin, very likable senator from West Virginia. Now, West Virginia is a red, 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 red state. I think everybody in Virginia is Republican. Every county is. Joe Manchin is a Democrat. How did that happen? I have no idea. But you would think there would be bazillions of West Virginians that love Joe Manchin so much they ran to the bank to get money for his campaign. He raised a tiny fraction of his campaign funds in his last election from voters in his home state. Tiny, out-of-state contributions and corporate donations make up the bulk of his fundraising. Listen to this. He received about $6.1 million from individual donors who gave more than 200 bucks in aggregate to his campaign between January 21 and June 30th of 22. Now, this is coming from the FEC, Federal Elections Commission, so these are accurate numbers. Of that $6.1 million, only... in donations came from individuals that live in West Virginia. $6 million came from individuals in other states. He also got about $176,000 in small dollar donations, but it's unclear how much of that came from folks in West Virginia Since campaigns aren't required to report donor information on contributions under 200 bucks. So it's a good thing for Joe. He's not up for re-election until 2024. And he's not even announced whether he's going to seek another term in the Senate. 
Now, why did you bring that up, Dan? Why would Joe flip? He was adamant over and over and over again for weeks and weeks and months and months. That's why the Build Back Better bill that Biden's been trying to pass since he was elected never even got to the floor of the Senate to be discussed because Joe knew the content of the bill was anti-West Virginians. It's full of clean energy stuff. And part of it, listen to this, part of what's in this bill will shut down coal plants in West Virginia, which is the driving energy source of creation in West Virginia, which means dollars and cents. When you ask questions and you look look deep and look hard, sometimes you get answers that make you uncomfortable. You got a guy in the Senate that he right now is looking ahead at 2024. Now, I, I can see a situation in this kind of stuff that I'm about to tell you happens all the time. Why would Joe flip over the weekend, just bam, like that? Somebody sat down and had a conversation with him. Or maybe it was a phone call or two, or a Zoom. I don't know. But something flipped his switch. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to watch. I'm going to dig. But I'm going to watch what Joe does between now and 2024. It probably is going to go something like this. He's going to get a cush job in one of the lobbying firms on K Street around the corner from the White House, where most of the guys with his stature, a senator, a longtime senator, when they get pulled over to this, they bring so many contacts within the Congress for these lobbyists to come through and know they're going to get really good access to these lawmakers. Why? Because Joe Manchin, Joe Manchin, He knows everybody in the House and the Senate, and most of them like him. And so he can open the door. They get in there to plead their causes. How much is it worth for, oh, let's say Ford Motor Company to have access when there's manufacturing legislation pending in D.C.? What's it worth to Ford Motor Company to be able to get to the lawmakers and have conversations with them directly about a pending piece of legislation. Somebody's got to open the door. Joe Manchin. Something happened to make Joe flip. And the contents of this bill make absolutely no, there's no way you can justify, especially overnight. There's no way that Joe Biden could get Joe Manchin to flip without something really, really big. Really big. Especially with the damage this is going to do to the people of West Virginia. It's egregious. Roughly 30,000 full-time jobs according to the Tax Foundation, will be lost in West Virginia if this bill is passed. So what about Kirsten Sinema? Well, she, overnight, agreed to move forward with the social spending and tax bill. 
And she said the reason she did was because the Democrats made some changes to please her. I am pleased to report that we have reached an agreement on the Inflation Reduction Act that I believe will receive the support of the entire Senate Democrat conference, she said. The final version of the reconciliation bill, (laughs) it's not going to be introduced until Saturday. She says it will reflect the work and put us one step closer to enacting the historic legislation into all. So what do you think's in it for her? What's she getting out of it? Well, the bill will specifically raise $739 billion in revenue. How? Taxes. And then it's going to spend roughly half of that on the Democrats' schemes. And one of those is to beef up the IRS. Cinema announced that she's decided to move forward. And so why did she move forward? Well, she says it's because they took out the carried interest tax provision. That provision would have reportedly imposed a higher capital gains tax rate on private equity and hedge fund financiers. Now, how many of you, how many of you are really worried about that? Why would Kirsten Cinema be so worried about that? Follow the money. It's unclear how the Inflation Reduction Act is going to protect advanced manufacturing, which is what one of the changes said they were going to do. According to an analysis from the Joint Committee on Taxation, 49% of the 739 in revenue raised by the bill, that's $739 billion, will come directly from the manufacturing industry. So, Senator Mike Braun, he's a business guy. He warned that the bill will have a crushing effect on American manufacturing. They should have called it the Manufacturing Reduction Act, he said. As for boosting our clean energy economy, as Cinema said, that's one of the reasons she flipped and decided to join Democrats. This is going to translate to higher energy cost for all Americans. And that's coming from the Heritage Foundation. The bill goes on for hundreds of pages, details a combination of tax credits, subsidies, and regulations for the energy choices preferred by the D.C. elite, such as wind and solar, while increasing the cost to access more reliable, more abundant energy sources like gas and oil on federal lands. In a statement of his own, Chuck Schumer, he celebrated Cinema's capitulation. He vowed to formally introduce the bill on Saturday. So, let me just tell you, it's going to be, it's going to be, if the parliamentarian who hasn't weighed in yet, if the parliamentarian gives this a green light, it's a done deal. And this temporary respite you've got at the gas pump, you can kiss that goodbye and a whole lot more. Now, this is what I was talking about. Regular order on this bill, used on this bill, it would have kept this from ever happening because this thing, it wouldn't have even happened until the bill 
was handed to the minority leader a bill written already. They just wrote this last week. Nobody's had a chance to read the whole thing yet and analyze the whole thing. But they love doing it this way because they can get their stuff passed. And we think, hey, our representatives up there, they're the ones that know this stuff. They tore this apart and they figured out it's good for us and they voted yes. I'm going to give them a campaign contribution. We don't have any idea what's in the bill after they pass it, unless you go and dig and go back and forth. If you've ever tried to analyze any piece of congressional legislation, you haven't. I promise you haven't. Why? Because every paragraph in a thousand-page bill, within that paragraph, it refers to another bill or another section of another bill that if you want to find out what the details of this bill are, you got to go dig that one up. And there are hundreds, if not thousands of those included in every piece of legislation now that comes up for a vote. This is all for one purpose. They don't want you and I to know what they're doing. And it's not just a Democrat thing. It happens across the board. Our congressman from the 4th Congressional District here in Northwest Louisiana, Mike Johnson, he told me this is, this is his thorn in the flesh. He's a constitutional attorney, and he likes everything straight. Now, just because he's my congressman, and by the way, he's a friend of mine, that doesn't mean I agree with everything Mike does or doesn't do. People aren't perfect, and I'm not perfect. My opinion is just that. It's my opinion about things. But the way to skirt all of this and keep everything in front of the American people straight is to do it in regular order. So those of you that are listening from around the United States, what can you do? Make a phone call to your member of Congress and urge them urge them to demand regular order on any piece of legislation that is being considered to even go to the floor to potentially be passed and sent to the other chamber if you're talking to your members of the U.S. Congress, the House of Representatives you guys take care of it in regular order on the House side so that when you get agreement sufficient enough to pass it on the floor, then it goes to the Senate where they do the same thing. Talk to your senators. You've got two in your state. Let each of them know we got to go to regular order. It it to go back to regular order, it would take a majority of those in both houses to make it happen. But don't you think There should be enough. There should be 50% plus one on both sides of the Capitol that would agree to do that. Because why? Because the people want it. And they represent the people. This kind of insanity drives me crazy. 
We have so many problems. Do you know that most of our problems, the biggest ones, are self-inflicted? Big problems like inflation, prices going up, supply chain issues, all of the things that you and I struggle with every day. They're right here in our face. And many, many more that we don't even think about. All of those come from within. You and I don't make laws. You and I don't enforce laws. Our government does. Our government and its leaders in the majority are feckless. They are panderers. They are dishonest. And they are self-seekers. And I'm not just talking about the 50% of the U.S. Senate that are Democrats. I'm talking about you take all 535 of them and you put their names in a bowl. A large majority of those 535 fall into this category and they're supposed to be working for you and me. Hi, this is Jack, founder of Jack in the Box. Is the caller there? Mr. Box, Douglas Gopperts from Burger Week magazine. Oh, hey, Doug. Doug's a respected fast food critic. I recently dined on your sourdough jack combo. And? Perfection. The cheese, the jumbo patty, the golden sourdough bread, the french fries. Bravo. Well, thank you. However, I found the dessert a bit dry. It doesn't come with dessert. The candy. The white, round candy with the happy face. Was it wearing a scarf? Yes, I believe it was. Rosy cheeks? Fuzzy earmuffs? Yes, that's it. Douglas, you ate a holiday ball. <gasps> We're giving one away free to customers who buy a sourdough jack combo. But they're not for dessert. They're for antennas. Or a pencil. Right. Well, that's going to improve your score dramatically. Excellent. Few things bring as much joy as the delicious taste of Coca-Cola. Like your first time camping or falling in love on a blind date. And now, our new Coke bottles are sip-sized and made from 100% recycled materials. So every bottle can live on to create more memories. That's endlessly refreshing. Coca-Cola. Bottles are made from 100% recycled materials excluding cap and label. Enjoy the great taste of Coca-Cola in a new sip-sized bottle that's made of 100% recycled materials. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents a word from your wallet. Are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. (laughs) Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. When a governor can tell a president, no rally in my state... It's time for some definitive truth. Here with the goods, again, Dan Newman. Happy Friday to all of you. I know this is going to be a great day and a great weekend. I don't know where you are you're listening in from, but here in northwest Louisiana, uh, we've had a scorcher 
of a summer. And I know for most people, the summer is not nearly over. And technically, it's not over here either. But uh, if we make it through July every year, when we get to August, maybe we just think we're almost out. We may have a little more ahead of us than um, I think we do. I'm talking about heat and humidity. But it's so good to even see the end of this, to get back to some normalcy. If you know me, you know that pretty much every morning of the week at 6 a.m., I'm part of a prayer group that's streamed online at Facebook from uh, our church, Shreveport Community Church. And we live exactly 15 miles from church. And the 15 miles, with the exception of about one of those miles, is on interstate. And so at 6 o'clock in the morning in Louisiana, even in the deep, dark days of summer, it's a whole lot cooler. That's basically the coolest time of the day. And I'm a motorcycle rider. I own a couple of Harleys. Um... I've been all over North America, even Canada, riding a Harley. I'm not one of those guys that likes to hot rod around town. I don't, I don't do that at all. But when I get on a Harley, I'll go. <laughs> and when I say go, I actually, with a couple of buddies on an Easter several years ago, after church Sunday morning, we jumped on our Harleys and we rode to Savannah, Georgia. And then we turned around and rode to San Francisco, and then we rode home. That's a long way. My wife, Marianne, rode behind me. We rode from Shreveport, Louisiana, to Key West and, and back. And so I like to ride like that, and especially when it's cool. So most of the time, I ride one of my Harleys to this prayer meeting in the morning. It's a great opportunity to get on it. I like being open and I'm on this interstate that turns into another interstate and uh, it's really kind of cool. But when the heat comes, OMG, (laughs) you have the heat coming up from the motor you're sitting on top of and then you have Louisiana heat and Louisiana humidity. Oh, I just look forward to the mornings when I can ride. You've got times of the day and circumstances that you feel that same way about. Don't point your finger at me and say you're just, uh, you're just bragging. No, 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 no. We all have our places and our times where we get away. That's one of my, and by the way, it's a good time to pray. I mean, I'm not one of those. I do have a, uh, XM Sirius XM radio on my bike. I've got a, uh, they all come with the built in, uh, CB radio. I can't believe I have a CB radio. (laughs) I haven't, I don't, I think the only time I've ever used that is on a long trip with somebody else so we can communicate, you know, bike to bike. So when I'm on it now, I don't even listen to music. Uh, I don't have any music piped into my helmet. I do ride a helmet. Believe me, I ride, I ride with a helmet. Anyway, enough about that. Let's get back to business. How about this business? You know all those Afghan refugees that we, our government, were so thoughtful about. We've got to give these people the same chance we're giving those people coming across our southern border. Come to the U.S. and make a better life. And then when our administration was asked, you know, we're talking about Afghanistan. How the heck are we going to know we're getting good Afghan people? What about all these terrorists that blew up 
The Twin Towers in New York, a bunch of them came from Afghanistan. How are we going to know? Oh, we've got a plan in place. Everybody that gets on those planes before they come over here, we vetted them. And to make it even better, we don't bring them straight from Afghanistan to the U.S. They go through, they go through another country, Yemen. And we do an exhaustive investigation of them before they're ever allowed to come to the United States. So y'all that are worried about that, just sit down and shut up. So as I said yesterday, FBI Director Christopher Wray was in the Senate. Senator Josh Hawley from Missouri, he got into the conversation about this. He and one other Republican senator have urged the Department of Defense to investigate some whistleblower allegations. And what are these about? Listen to this. Hundreds of those Afghan evacuees who appeared on official watch list, watch list, terrorist watch list, were not properly vetted before they were released into your country and mine. According to this whistleblower, the Biden administration failed to properly vet, oh, you know, a dozen or two, or 20, or 50, or 100, or 200, or 300. How about 324 Afghan evacuees who appeared on the Department of Defense's biometrically enabled watch list? And that watch list includes known terrorists. And this is all being proffered in Senate yesterday by Josh Hawley and Ron Johnson. This list, this watch list, identifies individuals whose biometrics have been collected and determined by analysts to be threats or potential threats to national security, including known terrorists. Hawley and Johnson said the whistleblower alleges that White House and DOD officials instructed agency personnel to cut corners and not conduct full fingerprint tests on these evacuees at staging bases in Europe in order to promote the rushed evacuation from Afghanistan. Further, the same whistleblower alleges Homeland Security staff were authorized to delete old biometric data at their discretion. Went on to say that this is a troubling development that could threaten national security and public safety. Hawley and Johnson raised the DOD whistleblower's allegations with the Department of Defense Acting Inspector General Sean O'Donnell in a letter on Thursday. We write to you with concern over new allegations raised by Department of Defense whistleblower. This information may show the Biden administration's failure to vet those evacuated from Afghanistan was even worse than the public was led to believe. The following allegations demand an immediate investigation by your office. Oh my gosh. How does this stuff happen? Let me tell you how it happens. When you have a feckless, cognitive, disabled president of the United States who surrounds himself 
with identical types as himself. Plus, many of those he puts in charge over our government on his watch are not just feckless at what they do. They are purposely suborning the rule of law, as is this president, and they're going off on these political tangents that don't align with their oaths of office, don't align with the United States Constitution, don't align with the rule of law, and what they do is they feed some political narrative. Alejandro Mayorkas, Secretary of Homeland Security, I got to be honest with you, the guy is either a hardcore communist or he's an absolutely blathering idiot. He does not give one rip of care or concern about anything that is happening on his watch that is outside the rule of law that he swore an oath to. He's an attorney and he's an immigrant. One would think that somebody like that who did the process, went through the process to get to the United States legally with his family would be thankful for the opportunity for himself and his family to do that and would be proud to facilitate that process to be used the same way it was used for him. But no, 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 no. Not only does Alejandro Mayorkas Not only are millions of illegals coming into our nation on his watch, and we just can't catch them all. No, that's not the fact. The fact is, in cahoots with the Mexican government on the Donald Trump administration watch, illegal immigration coming in from the south, the southern border, had become just a drip. How? We were building a wall. We were sending a message to Mexico in every part of South America, the Caribbean, Central America. The U.S. southern border is closed. And by the way, if you get there and you get caught illegally, you're going to be deported. You may be prosecuted. And then he cut the deal for all those that were fraudulently trying to come and claim for asylum here what was happening before the Trump administration during the eight years of Obama and Biden, they were just letting them come in. They would sign a form, make their claim for asylum, couldn't be heard by an asylum judge sometimes for years, and they promised to come back for that hearing. They never show back up. Trump had it down to a drip. Alejandro Mayorkas, on the behest of this president, they obliterated all of that. They did away with the remain in Mexico. They did away with that restriction that was passed regarding COVID-19. Anybody coming in that we don't know their COVID status, they were immediately removed. They ignored all that, and here we are. Both of these men are violating federal law every day. Now, what does that mean? That's treason. At the level that they're doing it, it is treason. Each of these men needs to be immediately removed from office. Well, Mayorkas isn't in office. He was appointed. He needs to be fired. He needs to be prosecuted. Joe Biden needs to be impeached. 
immediately. Every day, the dangers from this that we're talking about right now are growing in intensity and the ability for these people to wreak, reap great harm across our nation. Folks, this wasn't happening at this level when those terrorists came into the United States legally, by the way. They were here legally. And they killed 2,900 Americans the day that the Twin Towers fell. This landscape of terrorists that now are in parts of our country, we have no idea where they are. Joe Biden didn't put the process together. Nobody below him put the process together. So you know, with all that happening, it was a concerted effort. It was agreed upon. Bring them in. Flood the southern border. Let's get as many illegals here in the country as we can. So then we can change our government to something that we think is better, which is going to be top-down, totally. We're going to flip the power structure that has worked so well in our nation, part of the Constitution, government of the people, by the people, and for the people. We're going to flip that around. Government of the people, that's all that's going to be there. And we're in charge. That's what it's all about. So, Christopher Wray, FBI director, he's at Congress, and uh, he's getting grilled. i got to be honest with you, I've watched him in many uh, hearings before Congress, and he's pretty, pretty smooth. Pretty smooth. And so, Ted Cruz when it came time for him to talk to Director Ray, he talked to him, among other things, but he talked to him about the events of January 6th and those involved. Congress has now heard from numerous law enforcement uh, officials that uh, there is significant evidence that the January 6th attack on the Capitol was premeditated, planned, and coordinated. And you just had an exchange with Senator Klobuchar where you if I understood you correctly, express the FBI's view that it was indeed planned and coordinated. Uh, I recognize this is an ongoing investigation and that you're still learning uh, the details, but at this point, what do we know about the planning and coordination uh, that, that occurred surrounding the January 6th attack? So, uh, I guess let me s- step back and say first thing is, um, There are sort of three groups of people involved in January 6th. The first group, the largest group, the group we need to spend the least time talking about is peaceful, maybe rowdy protesters, but who weren't violating the law. Then there's a second group, think of a reverse pyramid, a second group that is people who may have come intending to just be part of peaceful protests, but either swept up in in the motive or emotion or whatever, uh, engaged in kind of low-level criminal behavior, trespass, say, on the Capitol grounds, but not breaching the building. Still criminal conduct still needs to be addressed, but more on-the-fly, in-the-moment opportunistic. The third group, the smallest group numerically, but by far and away the most serious group, 
are those who, uh, who breached the Capitol grounds, who engaged in violence against law enforcement, who attempted to disrupt the members of Congress in the conduct of their constitutional responsibilities. And of those, some of those people clearly came to Washington, we now know, uh, with, with plans and intentions to engage in the worst kind of violence we would consider domestic terrorism. And so some of that coordination uh, appears to have been coordinated travel, uh, coordinated meeting up, coordinated in terms of what kind of gear they might be wearing or bringing with them, that kind of thing. Again, ongoing, obviously ongoing, much more to come. But you know, Often in an investigation, um, law enforcement follows the money. Uh, is there evidence at this point of coordinated funding prior to January 6th, providing military equipment, providing communications equipment, uh, or the like? Certainly, that's a topic that we're looking at. Uh, I don't know that there's anything I can say right now in terms of funding or coordinated funding. Um, there's been considerable discussion at this hearing also about the, the Norfolk report. Um, at the time, how credible and, and reliable did the FBI consider the Norfolk report as, as an actionable piece of intelligence? Uh, my, Senator, my understanding is that our folks at the time uh, viewed it as raw, unverified, and therefore of unknown reliability information. But because of the level of detail that was in it, um, and some of this is art, not science, unfortunately, in the world of intelligence, the judgment was uh, that given the press of time, given the specificity in it, even though it sounded somewhat aspirational in nature and was unverified, the smartest thing to do, the most prudent thing to do was just to push it to the people who needed to get it. And as I said, that happened three different ways. Um, you had a conversation with Senator Grassley about the, the death of Officer Sicknick. And, and there obviously is considerable interest and concern in the Senate and, and across the country as, uh, as to the circumstances of Officer Sicknick's death. There have been conflicting reports uh, about the circumstances of his death. Uh, you told Senator Grassley the FBI at this point is not in a position to confirm a, a cause of death. Uh, is there any information uh, that the FBI can share with the American people about what we know of the circumstances surrounding his tragic death? Uh, although I I'm, uh, certainly understand and appreciate the keen interest in it for all the reasons we've discussed, uh, at the moment, other than to say the Capitol Police has, of course, categorized it, I think, appropriately as a line of duty death, there's nothing really that I can share right now. Certainly, I understand why it's very much top of mind for people, and I think it speaks well of the members of Congress that they're so interested in somebody who's lost his life protecting all of you. So as soon as we're in a position uh, when the investigation has gotten to a stage where we can share information, we, we want to be able to do that. That makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. I wanted you to hear that, that bit of back and forth because normally Senator Ted Cruz, he grills witnesses and he gets information. He makes sometimes these witnesses angry. That's the director of the FBI with everything going on in this nation, all of the wrongdoing. And as a matter of fact, some of the wrongdoing going on on his watch. He said nothing, absolutely nothing of substance. And anytime there's a question that may be 
pushing him or those others that sit in that seat. They have the fallback. Well, we can't talk about an ongoing investigation. Uh, We're gathering details, Senator, and it's an ongoing investigation. So I promise you, as soon as we get to the point where we have all the facts in front of us, we'd be glad to come back and visit with you about those. But right now, we can't talk about that. Why even have Christopher Wray, FBI director, to come before Congress? Oh, by the way, you do understand that we have three co-equal branches of government and the congressional, the legislative branch, they are constitutionally in charge of oversight of the other branch, which would be the executive branch. And of course, under the executive branch comes the FBI, the Department of Justice. They don't answer to Congress like constitutionally they are supposed to. And nobody holds them accountable. Why? Because they're the executive branch and it's them that have the ability to investigate and hold somebody legally liable for anything. Congress doesn't. Oh, they can they can subpoena people to come in and if somebody refuses to come, they can file charges against them. And as we've seen several times during the Trump administration and the aftermath of it, we've seen people actually being arrested just for not coming and following through on a subpoena for testimony that they get. But very seldom does anything come out of those things. Here's what's going on. Congress sits up there in a vacuum. They're behind a big glass wall. And we, the people, have no say-so about anything that happens there. None. No say-so. None whatsoever. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. We have no say-so. None. And let me give you another example. Um... You remember that mess that happened up in Michigan? That group of so-called terrorists were plotting to kidnap Governor Gretchen Whitmer. We found out. Wow, we found out something. That whole thing was set up. It was an attempt to trap some people, but it was set up by FBI agents. FBI agents did that. There was prosecutions that occurred. Somebody should have gone to jail. Nobody went to jail. And listen to this. You're going to love this. This came out in Christopher Ray's testimony. That was such an embarrassing thing that the FBI was exposed to doing. What, what that exposure did, it told us The FBI does a whole lot of stuff. They walk that red line, and in many cases, they go over the line, but because they're the FBI and we're the American people, nothing ever happens to them. It was such a bad, nasty deal. 
people should have been fired for doing that. Christopher Ray has a sole authority to get rid of people that would go out there. That's a rogue FBI operation. But it gets worse. The FBI, the guy that ran that horrible thing in Michigan, they did move him. He switched jobs. You know what job he's doing? He's running the FBI field office in Washington, D.C. So when you do something bad in the FBI, they slap you on the wrist and they, oh, they're going to they're gonna take you away from the post you were on. They gave him a raise. They gave him a promotion for what he did. And I guess maybe it's appropriate for him to live and work in Washington, D.C. now where this kind of crap goes on every day. He proved he fits right in. You just can't make this stuff up. This is the United States of America. And it is supposed to be government of, government by, and government for the people. Wow, we're running behind on our breaks this morning. Got a good one for you. We're going to pause for a minute and take a break. When we come back, we're going to visit about the latest on that rogue nation in the Middle East, the one that we really don't like and they despise us. Death to America, death to America. Of course, we're talking about Iran. And this is another little tidbit. (laughs) It's going to frost you. (laughs) Not only are you going to not believe it, you're going to get mad. Real truth, real news. TNN, the Truth News Network. Grab an ice-cold can of Celsius and stay active and energized all day. Celsius is better for you energy, made with premium ingredients, zero sugar, and seven essential vitamins, with no high fructose corn syrup, no aspartame, no preservatives, and no artificial colors or flavors. Celsius is just the essential energy you need to keep you fueled and active all day. Celsius, essential energy, live fit. Now find Celsius at Celsius.com or a retailer near you. We're outside Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City where parents are disappearing. Excuse me, are your parents in there? Yeah. They can't decide if they should take no interest for 60 months with no money down or an extra $100 off every $9.99 they spend. It's a tough choice. But they've been in there for six hours. I want dinner. Parents, if you're at Pilgrim, please make a decision. The I'm crazy hungry, so she's got to be too. Slide through the Mickey D's drive-thru to get a Big Mac. Right after I order her quarter pounder with cheese, because I don't know everything, but I do know what my girl's feeling hangry meal. Get it at McDonald's when you buy one of your faves, like the Big Mac, quarter pounded with cheese, 10-piece chicken McNuggets, or filet of fish, and get another for just a dollar. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid on item of equal or lesser value. New home ownership can be a real eye-opener, but it's the perfect time to look into Homeowner 101 from The Home Depot. Free live streaming workshops taught by expert associates now at homedepot.com slash workshops. You'll find indoor and outdoor workshops, even home systems workshops. Plus, you'll get the know-how you need to care for your biggest investment. Master the basics at Homeowner 101, only at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Register now at homedepot.com slash workshops.
you know, I'm getting text and um, even some emails from a bunch of people. All of a sudden, it, it's ganged up. People are saying, look, when I miss the show live, how can I get it later? I'm just going to run through the, uh, the process for those of you. Actually, what I did, I replied to two emails before we went on the air this morning. And I told them how I sent them the link, that one that you click on to come listen to the show every day. And I told them about after the fact, if you miss a show live, you can always pick it up. So anytime you want to go back and get the day show or any previous show, you can go to Truth Social, Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, iHeart Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, even Facebook, and you just click, put in the search bar TNN Live. TNN Live. And the index will pop up. The latest, the most recent show will be at the very top. And you can download it there. You can listen anytime. You don't need to miss any show. And it is a good thing. You may miss three or four in a week because I know you're busy. Go back and grab them and just listen to them through the weekend. Anytime you're taking a trip in your car. I know you like music. (laughs) I do too. Uh, When I make a trip, which uh, of late I've made quite a few of them, shorter day trips. But uh, I listen to the news a lot, especially since so many things are happening. But you never have to miss a show. And I thank you for those of you who are regulars and you don't miss shows and you give us feedback, good and bad, like it all. We don't do everything perfect and uh, we're doing what we're doing for you. So it's pretty important to us to know exactly how you feel about what we're doing. So anytime you want to make a, a comment, even if you don't want it to go on the website, I'm fine with that. Dan at truthnewsnet.org, Dan, at truthnewsnet.org. Now, what about Iran? We went into the break, and I told you we had some news. Well, Iran, the nation, has massively profited off the illegal oil trade during Joe Biden's time in the White House. They've raked in a whopping $44.7 billion in sales while they're laughing at the weak American president and his sanctions. The Islamic Republic has aligned itself with our foremost enemies. Who would those be? China, Russia, North Korea, Syria, Venezuela, and even others. Selling them its oil, Iran selling them their oil, That's according to figures published by United Against Nuclear Iran. From the time that Joe took office through June of this year, Iran made its massive sales of oil primarily to China, which is also mocking U.S. sanctions. You do understand that both of those nations are sanctioned by the United States. They don't give a rip. They thumb their noses at us, at at this president, Export revenues between March of 21 and March of 22 from oil, gas, and related products totaled $39 billion, compared with $22 billion for the previous year. That's up 77%, and it's an extra $17 billion. 
This drastic increase in revenue is not surprising when you look at the increase in oil exports that have occurred under the Biden administration. This is the result of terminally lax sanctions enforcement. Why have them, folks? Why does our government even put sanctions on any other country if they're not enforced? And Biden's methods of containing Iran, he tells us he's got them right where he wants them. It's laughable. He originally imposed looser sanctions on the Islamic Republic and has all but ignored enforcement. He's trying to resurrect that 2015 nuclear deal. He's openly appeased the Islamic regime. He's urging it to sign a new deal that will, in essence, remove all sanctions, including those that pertain to the oil trade. Now, here's the part of this whole thing. And I go, I, I, I go back to that 2015 deal, the big deal that they signed surreptitiously. I thought those kind of agreements had to be signed off by the U.S. Congress. No. This administration is just thumbing their nose at Congress and saying, you know what? It's not a treaty. A formal treaty has to go through the congressional process. It's an agreement that we're making. And so Barack and Joe, they just, uh, they parlayed their thoughts in that. And the $150 billion U.S. dollars that they gave to Iran. If the U.S. lifts sanctions on Iran to seal the deal on that lame nuclear deal, the Iran-China oil trade could reach approximately 60 billion bucks a year. China made a mockery of the credibility of our sanctions programs and emboldened rogue actors across the world to follow suit to do the same thing. Under the Trump administration, Iran's foreign currency reserves were nearly wiped out. Under Biden, hey, 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 they've increased tenfold. The U.S. refused to enforce its sanctions even while Iran was continuing to advance its nuclear program and its regional terror attacks. The result? Iran's economy revived. Thank you, Uncle Joe. The Iranian leadership does not feel pressure to finalize the nuclear deal. Hey, they don't need it. It's working for them right now. They're already enjoying the benefits of the effective sanctions relief. The fact that the Biden administration can't even manage a return to that notoriously weak nuclear deal is evidence of the sheer diplomatic malpractice carried out by Joe and his entire administration, particularly Secretary of State Antony Blinken. Iran and China are massively increasing their emergency oil stockpiles while Joe Biden depleted ours to its lowest level. Listen to this. It's lower now than it ever has been, at least in the last uh, 37 years. Not a wise idea when war with China is looming. And by the way, Joe sold from our strategic oil preserves 6 million barrels of oil to China. Because of the bad publicity surrounding oil stockpiles and Iran's blatant flouting of sanctions, our president is now beginning to issue new ones. 
on the Islamic Republic's oil trade. On Monday, the State Department announced it is designating a number of entities for their role in, quote, facilitating illicit transactions related to Iranian petroleum. So who do these new sanctions target? Iran's Persian Gulf Petrochemical Industry Commercial Company, as well as nine other entities, some of which are based in the United Arab Emirates, Hong Kong, and Malaysia, that the U.S. claims facilitate Iran's illicit oil trade. The Biden administration asserts it's going to issue sanctions until Iran signs the nuclear deal. The rogue nation is not impressed with what it's calling bullying. Americans should not think that they can gain concessions at the negotiating table with these actions and should abandon such act of bullying. That comes from Iran's foreign minister. The U.S. has been sincere in pursuing a path of meaningful diplomacy to achieve a mutual return to full implementation of the JCPOA. That's the big Barack Obama and Joe Biden deal. What does all this mean, folks? It it just illustrates further how horrible the governing of our government is There is no foreign policy consistent coming out of Washington, D.C. This president doesn't understand foreign policy. He thinks, just because he got the title, President of the United States, that all these world leaders, oh, I met with them all. I, when I was in the Senate and when I was in Barack's White House, For eight years, I got to interact with all of these nation leaders. We're buds. They all love me, and we're just going to sit around and sing kumbaya, and everybody's going to agree to do the right thing, and then we're going to go home, and everything's going to be okay. I know that may sound trivial and stupid to say, but tell me, show me some other proof that proves that kind of stuff is not happening in Joe Biden's world. Robert Gates again, former CIA director, former Secretary of Defense. He's now, I think, the president of Texas A&M. Years ago, I think when he was CIA director, he made the statement, Joe Biden in 50 years has never made a good foreign policy decision. And he still hasn't. Uh, that last, it's he still hasn't. That was mine. It wasn't Bob Gates. We have a leader that nobody, no other leader on the planet respects. No other leader on the planet thinks that anything is going to be done to hold them responsible for anything they do wrong as it pertains to involvement in any way with the United States. What country would be concerned about the U.S. now when they watch their own eyes? They're watching what is happening across the board in the Biden administration. Look at all the laws we have here. They they know that. They know we have dozens of immigration federal laws that many of which Joe Biden weighed in on and voted on when he was a member of the United States Senate. He doesn't enforce any of them. So if you are a nation and you don't have laws 
or you have laws that you don't enforce, what does that mean? It means you're not a, a nation. Nations are decided when they get together and they come up with a consensus of governing and they put the people in place that they want to run their government and then that government does just that. We used to look like that. We certainly don't anymore. We don't anymore. And this legislation that keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming from this administration, it rips us apart and it's like We've had a broken leg, and every time they take the cast off and it looks like we're going to be okay, Joe breaks the leg again. He does something, oops, I'm sorry, and breaks the leg. You can hardly talk about this kind of stuff without throwing in to the mix of the conversation family members of Joe Biden, his brother James, fondly called Jim, and of course his son Hunter Biden, the smartest man he's ever known. That's what Joe Biden says. So there are so many different things out there, bad things about Hunter Biden. I got to be honest with you, if any other American was doing or had done even a small fraction of what has documented been done by Hunter Biden, They'd have been in jail a long, long time. So you have Christopher Wray, FBI director before the U.S. Senate yesterday. And information comes out that uh, some FBI agents had rat-holed some of the bad information that had come up in previous investigations of Hunter Biden. Here now is James Trusty, former DOJ prosecutor, so, James, good to see you. What, what's your take on this story and this report that uh, the DOJ and the FBI are burying dirt on Hunter Biden? Well, it's very worrisome. I mean, look, the starting point's a greater context, Sean, and that is we had this stretch of FBI leadership being unbelievably politicized with Jim Comey, Andy McCabe, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page. What I wanted to see from Director Ray is a clean break. You know, a guy that comes in like it's after the Chicago Black Sox scandal and says, we're going to hang them high and clean this sport up. Well, we didn't ever got that from Ray, and Ray was allowed to stay on under Biden, and now we're getting these things. Now, I don't want to overreact to a congressional letter or, or you know, congressman vouching for the credibility of a witness we haven't seen, but it's worrisome and it's consistent with the high-level politicization of FBI that we saw. And one other thing, Sean, when you plant this disinformation by saying, oh, by the way, that investigation you're working on, Agent Smith, it's all Russian disinformation. It's not just that you throw off that agent and throw off the investigation, but you create exculpatory material in the case file. You create what they call Brady material. So if there is a charge someday, the prosecutor has to turn that over to the defense. It might be the stuff of reasonable doubt when there wouldn't have been reasonable doubt. So it's a very damaging sabotage if it's true that they're saying these things to other FBI agents. So, but James, I mean, this is a high-profile uh, case. It's the president's son, and so can uh, just a line agent bury this information, or do they have to get approval from the top? Is this something that goes to Christopher Ray or Merrick Garland? Do they have to approve the fact that they're going to call this evidence uh, disinformation and bury it? 
I don't think the communications would reach up to the director or AG level. Uh, according to the letter, they, they, they appear to reach up to the ASAC level, to the assistant special agent in charge of the Washington field office at the time. So, yeah, there's going to be some managerial sign-off, but it's not going to be the highest reaches of DOJ. But, of course, if you're overseeing a sensitive case like Hunter Biden and you're the attorney general or you're Chris Ray at this point, you should certainly be aware of the file and the case history and any of these types of shenanigans that have happened. Well, especially after the politics of the DOJ and the FBI in the Trump years, right? I mean, that was, that's, I mean, you, you, you want to have a system in place where we don't think the system plays favorites. Lady Justice is blind as she wails, weighs um, uh, justice for the American people. And right now, I think, James, a lot of people believe that there's one standard for Republicans and there's a completely different standard for Democrats, and that's bad for American justice. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well put. And, and look, think of it this way. You hear this attorney general even recently uh, completely invested in January 6th, saying things like nobody is above the law. We're a rule of law nation. That's great. I agree with that concept. But he doesn't seem to be able to bring himself to use the same phrasing when he's talking about the Biden family. And, and that's the big integrity test we're going to see. Does this attorney general let the investigation, does this FBI let the investigation progress to its natural conclusion? Or are politics trumping justice in this era? You know, it feels like this. Uh, there is a two-tier system. Um, as an observer of the institutions, if, if, if you're in charge, James, how do you clean this up? How do you bring credibility back to uh, our federal uh, law enforcement, uh, whether it's the FBI or the DOJ? Yeah, I mean, look, it's not going to be overnight, and a lot of it's going to be what you do, not what you say. So you don't want to have an attorney general that says, I want to use the Patriot Act against parents that protest CRT in Virginia. You don't want to have an attorney general that focuses almost exclusively on civil rights and doesn't seem to invest heavily in street violence. And as I said about January 6th versus the Biden family, a lot of it's in the doing. But I think a clean sweep on the management level where a director comes in and says, no more of this, no special employees to leak things to the New York Times, no kowtowing to the politics of the moment. We're going to be the premier law enforcement agency. I think that's overdue. I mean, the clock's ticking for that kind of reform, and I'm afraid we're not seeing it from Chris Ray at this point. You know, I think it's right. You want managers who care more about justice and less about politics, and I think that would resolve the issue, but that has to happen from the top, and it's not happening uh, right now. James, thank you for your perspective. Appreciate it. Everybody you hear that talk about Oh, what we need to do is change this and change that. Yeah, it's bad, but we'll do this and we'll get... It never gets done. It's not going to get done. They, being the leftists that are anti-democracy or anti-rule of law, that are for big government and despise a people-run government, every one of them are getting their way now in government. Christopher Ray, FBI director. I mean, we've just talked about several things here that continues to happen on his watch. You know he knows about all of these things, but yet he denies. Or he says, that's an ongoing investigation. We can't discuss details. Poppycock. Seriously. They don't give a rip. They like the way it's going, and they don't want it to change. And let me say this. It's not going to change under this president. None of it is. In fact, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And the globalist concept of having one big government running 
if not all of most of the world, of course, why have a globalist government in charge if you didn't run it all, right? And that's not a conspiracy theory. They are actually now emboldened, and they're saying that's our objective. Do you see all of this, any of this feeding into that? Absolutely. I do. And it's kind of like, we knew there were snakes when we picked them up. Their identity is what it is, and it is what it was. So why are you griping about it? You still picked us up and let it happen. Wow. A lot of people out there, they're looking for answers, people, answers for government. Liz Cheney, she made a point. She brought in somebody, a heavyweight, yesterday. In just a minute, you're going to hear about that. Also, we are going to talk about the Donald, Donald Trump, as it pertains to elections. We got a half hour left. Don't go away. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for, only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800 plus cities. Square Packages, the packaging specialists, are proud to present a box on both your houses. The untold story of the invention of the box and the family rivalry that nearly destroyed it. It's a tale about opening your heart, finding acceptance, and inventing the most efficient means of shipping and packaging that mankind has ever known. Proving that to find what's in your soul, you have to look outside the box and into another box, which is a house your home. And that truly is the greatest box of all. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 for this once-in-a-week-time television event, A Box on Both Your Houses, presented by Square Packages, the packaging specialists. You're fighting back the tsunami of ignorance with Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. Well, those of you who are here every day, or at least most of the days, you're in trouble. (laughs) You can't say, I didn't didn't know about that, so I went ahead and voted for this person. You come here, you get educated. You get facts with which you can make clear, consistent, and honest, and righteous choices, especially when it comes to elections. Before we do the Dick Cheney thing, talking about the kingmaker, Donald Trump, his endorsements. I mean, the rhinos in the Republican Party, they're gnashing their teeth every day. And the Democrats on the left, they're looking at what's going on with Trump's endorsements and they're scared. Listen to this. After the primary elections the other night, 
Trump is 172 to 10. 172 of his uh, endorsed candidates that are running statewide federal races this year. 172 of them have won their races. Only 10 have lost. And the numbers change by one. It's now 173 to 10. As Kerry, they were little slow counting the ballots out there in Arizona, which they, they're used to doing that, right? <laughs> well, the results came in late. 173 to 10. Still got some pretend, uh, pending races, two out in Washington, whose races are still awaiting results. Now, what does this tell you? A huge majority of Americans, and we don't know the real numbers. They could give them to us because I believe they really know, but they're scared to death to put them out there. A huge majority of Americans may not like Donald Trump personally, but they love what happened to them and for them in Trump's four years as president. That is something Democrats know nothing about. Well, they just pontificate about this one, whatever. Somebody sits around, it's like, hey, let's go out Friday night and go get some drinks. And they all go to the bar and they start drinking. And they get there about 7 o'clock and nobody eats. They just decide to drink and drink. And about 10 o'clock, you can imagine what the brain power is in the room. And they're talking about legislation things that they need to do and why they need to do it. And so they start just, hey, I need this bridge over here in my district. Do you think we can stick that in an economic bill that we put before the Congress? Yeah, we can do that. And, oh, I made friends with this leader, this guy that's like the number three in charge down in Venezuela. And he asked me to do him a favor. It'll help most of the people in Venezuela. And he goes on and explains the favor, and they say, sure, we can do that. That's the way Democrats seem to come up with their legislative things that they support. Trump, when he was campaigning, before he started campaigning, he began to map out what his policy, what his administration was going to look like if he was elected. And he, just like every candidate when they're campaigning, he put all that out for the American people to see. And a lot of Americans said, you know what? This is just another politician. They all promise the moon. And then we foolishly elect them when they become the member in the legislation because we elected them to that. They never, nothing ever comes of it. But you know what? We don't like what we have now. So let's just go ahead. What the heck? Let's give Trump four years. Almost everything Trump promised he was going to do that resulted in Americans in desperation picked him as our president. Almost everything he did. And the only things he did not do were those things that he didn't have the unilateral power to do. He had to get it through Congress And even members of his own party wouldn't support it in Congress, and so they didn't get done. But that wasn't much. 
I don't care who you are. I don't care where you live. If you're listening in today and you're in the continental United States, your life was much better on anything and everything that had to do with our government during Trump's four years. Taxes, cost of goods, all of those things rolled in were better. You made more money. It was easier getting good jobs. More people were employed than ever before in the history of the nation. More African Americans employed than ever before. More women employed than ever before. More jobs were created. We had a jobs report come out this morning. It's a pretty darn good one if you look at it. The economy added 528,000 jobs in July, and unemployment fell to 3.5%. 528,000. Now, Joe Biden will say this. We added 528,000 new jobs during the month of July. That would not be true. They're not new jobs. We're still getting people that lost their jobs during the pandemic. We're getting them back to work. If this agency, the Department of Labor, that answers to who? Joe Biden. If they were honest, what they would do is they would break out the number and tell us how many of those 528,000 jobs that were added in July, how many of those were jobs of people that lost the jobs during the COVID pandemic? And how many, if any, are actually new jobs? And the answer to that, I'll tell you, you look around, there aren't any new companies opening up. There aren't. It's just not happening. But you have these hundreds of thousands of entities, business entities. What are they doing? They're finally getting people to come back to work. Those are counted by the Biden administration as newly created jobs. (laughs) They're not. They're not. We don't get much factual information out of this administration. Every number that comes out of the administration, it's going to be phrased to make them look good. And I get that. What's interesting to me is none of the other so-called experts have broken out the split in these monthly job numbers to tell us what's the exact number of jobs that were added last month, what percentage are new jobs, and what percentage are just people that are going back to work. They fell off the voter rolls. They fell off the unemployment rolls because they reached their max. So they were gone. Whenever they go back to work, hey, 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 here's a quote-unquote new job. So what about Dick Cheney? Well, he made an ad for his daughter. Liz Cheney. Liz Cheney is on that January 6th committee. She's one of two so-called Republicans that serve on it. And I guess basically she is going to go down because she's leaving office. She doesn't want to. But Harriet Hagerman is slaughtering her in the polls in Wyoming. It's so bad that Liz brought out Daddy former Vice President Dick Cheney, and he rushed to the defense of his daughter's downward-trending Republican primary campaign. 
he released an ad. What's the content of the ad? What is every person in Wyoming, what are they concerned about? They're concerned about the orange man. Now, wait a minute. Donald Trump, when he ran for president, he won Wyoming by a massive number of votes. And so Dick Cheney, of course, he was in the Bush 41 administration. He was in the Bush 43 administration. He was a, and is a Republican. Liz Cheney's a Republican. So every Republican, every conservative in the nation, we should throw our support her way, right? Even though we all can't vote in Wyoming. But Wyomans, they should realize Liz Cheney, because Daddy Dick Cheney said so, she should be reelected. She's down 30 points in polls, 30 points. And the primary election's coming up on August 16th. She published an ad starring her dad, Dick, that didn't mention her competitor, Trump-endorsed Harriet Hageman, but the ad focuses on Donald Trump himself. Here's what Dick Cheney claimed. Quote, In our nation's 246-year history, there's never been an individual who is a greater threat to our Republican, to our Republic, than Donald Trump. He's a coward, a real mean man. A real mean man wouldn't lie to his supporters. He lost the election. And he lost big. I know it. He knows it. And deep down, I think most Republicans know it. Dick then claimed that his daughter's obsession with Trump is doing what's right by honoring her oath to the Constitution when so many in our party are too scared to do so. Liz is fearless, he alleged. She never backs down from a fight. There's nothing more important she will ever do than lead the effort to ensure Donald Trump is never again near the Oval Office, and she will succeed. Well, it's unclear to anybody how Liz is retaining her House seat in Wyoming. By the way, the only seat in the House of Representatives in Wyoming, they only have one. How her getting reelected could block Trump from winning a potential 2024 election, but the media have contended that she may run for president on a third-party ticket to siphon votes from Trump if he runs. Can you believe they would actually do this? I can, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Liz has stated she'll make a decision about running for president sometime in the future. So Dick Cheney is the latest rich and famous individual to come out and support his daughter's re-election. In recent weeks, Hollywood celebrities have endorsed Liz and Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama daughter, uh, donors have given to her campaign. <laughs> Hillary and Barack donors are giving campaign dollars to Liz Cheney. She has also solicited votes from Democrats to overcome her deficit polling with state Republicans. She is aligning herself with Democrats. 
And it also goes to this January 6th committee, which has sought to investigate the January 6th incident without focusing on the alleged FBI informants at the Capitol. Liz Cheney's one of 10 Republicans who voted to impeach Trump. If she loses the primary, only three impeachment Republicans are going to remain in office. Liz Cheney has lost Wyoming. Liz Cheney doesn't live in Wyoming. She doesn't represent us, Harriet Hageman said. She doesn't represent our valleys, our values. Cheney's position against Trump in America first hadn't gone over very well with Republicans across the nation. She's excommunicated, according to the Wyoming Republican Party, And most people, most Republicans in Wyoming are no longer recognizing her as even being a Republican. According to predicted odds, Cheney has only a 2% chance on the dollar of winning. Trump-endorsed Hageman is favored by 99 cents on the dollar. Polling also shows Cheney well behind Hageman by 30 points. The big story is Liz Cheney is going to get beat. That's Brad Coker, managing director of the polling firm Mason Dixon Polling and Strategy, reflecting on a primary poll released in June. It's a foregone conclusion. Now, I'm not going to say anything more about Liz Cheney. I'm going to talk about her dad just for a second. I was a diehard Bush 41 and Bush 43 supporter. Primarily because they were the Republicans that ran. But during both of their administrations, somewhere in the middle of them, I began to see things that made me question. We went to war twice with Iraq. Once in the administration of Bush 41, once in that of Bush 43. The first one, I think it may have been legitimate, although it happened for a reason that didn't even involve us at all. Saddam Hussein had invaded Kuwait. And for some reason, Bush 41, Daddy Bush thought that we needed to go over there and rescue the Kuwaiti people. So we did. I'll get to the reason why in just a minute. Bush 43, by the way, a lot of people say that Bush 41, his dad, lost the first Iraq war because he didn't follow through and get rid of Saddam Hussein. A lot of people think when we went to war in the administration of Bush 43, that it was to do Daddy Bush a favor because he didn't finish the job. He was unable. He didn't get the opportunity to do away with Saddam Hussein. So they had to come up with some reasoning that was believable to go over there. Well, of course, the Twin Towers fell. Sure enough, they worked that around to be a justification to go because... Oh, Saddam Hussein, he's that evil dictator. He had to have something to do with that. And then to sweeten the pot, 
they started screaming and hollering, there are weapons of mass destruction scattered all over Iraq. Saddam Hussein has those. We got to go in there and stop him from getting those things enacted and using them against people around the world. And so in both wars, thousands of American men and women go over there and they gave their lives and died for those causes. There were no weapons of mass destruction. They didn't find them. There were none. Was Saddam Hussein a bad guy? In many ways he was. But let me tell you something that will blow your mind. Do you know when Saddam Hussein was the leader of Iraq, the Christian church was thriving across Iraq. There were Christians, they were adding a number, churches were opening all over Iraq. And Saddam Hussein left them alone. Even though he was a devout Muslim, he left them alone. They killed him. Bush 43. They found him. We didn't kill him. Angry Iraqi people killed him. And of course, the rest is, is history. Hardcore political Muslims took over. Still there. They can't get in anything done. They can't agree on anything other than they hate Americans. They hate Christians. And so the Christian church that was thriving over there under Saddam Hussein, they're all gone. Most of them have been killed. The churches have been torn down. He obliterated Christianity. Did this new regime of Iraqis that are there. I don't trust now. I don't trust Bush 41, his legacy, things that happened on his watch. You remember he was a CIA director himself before running for the White House. Bush 43, I think he did what he did to help his dad's historical image. His dad was unable to get personally Saddam Hussein. So son Bush 43 went and did that. And I think in the offing, there were a lot of bad decisions that were made. In both of these cases, who was the ringleader that instigated to the presidents, Bush 41 and 43, to do that, to go to war? Dick Cheney. Now, why would Dick Cheney do that? Do you know what Dick Cheney did for a living? He was a big guy, a big guy in the oil companies in the United States, owned a bunch of stock. And guess who made billions of dollars when all this was going on? Oil companies. That's a fact. And I think that's that's a big key in this. And that's why Americans know that now. They know that. And they're making their political decisions and choices now for 2024. They're already making them. So let's get back to Uncle Joe. Is what we're in now, is it actually a recession? Well, service services sector shrinks again, signaling a strong chance of a third straight economic contraction. S&P Global Market Intelligence said, 
Its index of service activity registered 47.3 in July. That's up slightly from the earlier released flash estimate of 47. But that's down from 52 in June. This is the fourth straight decline in the seasonally adjusted index, which had seen steep expansions earlier in the year. U.S. economic conditions worsened markedly in July, with business activity falling across both manufacturing and service sectors. Excluding pandemic lockdown months, the overall fall in output was the largest recorded since the global financial crisis and signals a strong likelihood that the economy will contract for a third consecutive quarter. So the new job numbers come out. Oh, we put all of these half a million new jobs out there. I did it. I'm Joe Biden. They put that out there. That, this business activity service sector number that I just gave you, it proves that those 528,000 jobs were not new jobs. They're people going back to work. And it's just because nothing that Joe specifically did, it's because they needed jobs. And they went back to work simply. It's no big deal. Joe didn't. uh, Tell me one thing Joe Biden has done to enhance our economy. One thing, just one thing. Everything you could mention that are important pieces of that, Joe Biden has either ignored and let happen what's going to happen, or his policies have purposely sent them to the tank. And it's not going to get better. Folks, we got two more years of this. Actually, more than that, 2024. I think we'll be okay. We're going to be okay, but I promise you, it will have nothing to do with what Biden does. You're fighting back the tidal wave of deceit, lies, spin, and ignorance with TNN, the Truth News Network. Long live the courageous, the tenacious, the ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good, the helping hand, those who fall and get back up. And long live the truck with the strength to overcome. The will to outwork. And the commitment to outlast them all. Ram. Proven to last. into the weekend I want to oh 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 I'm sorry about that hold on just a second (laughs) 
what a way to end the show, huh? I dropped the uh, the mouse, and when I did, it splattered, and all kind of stuff started happening. Hey, sometimes things happen. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. Listen, it's been a great week. Looking ahead next week, we have some surprises for you. Don't don't miss this show. Be here every day, Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 a.m. We really appreciate you doing that, sharing with us. Don't forget tomorrow, our annual big, big offering, our most read show story every week, bullet points. We'll see you Monday morning. Have a great one, folks, and we love you. There's a new sun rising. Oh